Um, we're going to do things a little bit differently today in that uh, we're going to just jump right into this. So if you would stand, please, as we read together uh, God's Word. Uh, my hope is that you'll hear it and that you'll heed what it says, okay? Tommy Braswell is going to read for us this morning. So, Tommy, thanks for helping us with this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it. From those whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Five verses, that's it. <laughs> you know me better than that. Um, we're going to hit the ground running this morning, okay? We, we actually have uh, a lot of ground to cover, so there's not time to do an enormous amount of review. Let me just do this one little point of review. Next slide. We are at the third vision. The book is broken down. The book of the Revelation is broken down into four different visions. Each vision starts with the, the phrase, in the spirit. Uh, we're in the third one at the very end of chapter 20, when we're going to look today at the end of evil. It marks the end of this age and an amazing new beginning to what the Bible calls the age to come. Uh, we're going to spend the entire message this morning dealing with the subject matter of these five verses, okay? But we're going to spend a lot of time in several other places as we look at two things that this passage talks about, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Here's the reason why. Those two topics, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, are primary. They are essential. They are foundational doctrines or beliefs in the Christian faith that you really need to understand. And I'll be honest with you, and I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. There are so many Christians who do not understand what the Bible says about those two things. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now, that sounds like preacher speak, maybe. Like, that's really overstated. What do you mean they're, they're that important? I don't just think that. God's word says that. In Hebrews chapter 6, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Do you think it's important that we get mature as Christians? That we don't just stay babies eating baby food? It's imperative that we grow up to maturity. It's God's plan for us. It's his heart for us. Well, listen to what he says. You press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation and then he lists several things. A foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. 
You see, in essence, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying that teaching on the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, that's stuff that you should have learned in spiritual kindergarten. That's like Christianity 101. And again, a lot of Christians have never had much teaching on those two primary essential topics. That's about to change right now, okay? Now, this is not going to be like... I think back at elementary school and I think about math flashcards and how you had to go over something over and over and over and over again. It was just so redundant and so boring until you got it. This is not like that, okay? You're not going to be bored. This is not boring. To me, this stuff is one of the greatest sources of encouragement that there is in all the Bible. And it's an anchor. It is a basis for the hope that we have. Not just hope in this life, but hope for the next life also, okay? Plus, those five verses that we're going to look at today are a bridge to next week and the week beyond. Those verses we read at the end of chapter 20 are a bridge to this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Man, oh man, it's going to get so good next week, you just will hardly be able to contain yourself. So, a question for you. If somebody comes up to you and says, I got some good news and bad news, what do you want first? How many of you say, oh, give me the bad news first? Good, you'll be happy. The rest of you, not so much. Because we've got some bad news and some good news that I want to talk about today, and we're going to do the bad news first. But I want you to know this. This is not bad news for us. Okay, this is bad news for those who don't love God, what's coming, what's in store for them. If you're a Christian, you need to understand this, but this is not what your experience is going to look like. Amen. Hallelujah. No kidding. All right. So it's, it's way good news for us, but bad news for some. Let me just read for you uh, something out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is kind of like a a little preview or a Cliff Notes version of what we're about to look at in greater depth and greater detail. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes these words. After all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted. And to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. Church, a couple weeks ago, I started saying the winning is just beginning. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till you see what today holds and the next two weeks hold. When we ended last week, which was at chapter 20, verse number 10, we read the scripture says that Satan, the devil, and the beast, and the false prophet were going to be thrown into the lake of fire. That is part of their payment for what 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about. That's part of their payment for afflicting the saints and opposing the kingdom of God and his plan and even his Christ. But the Bible is really clear. 
it is not just the devil and the beast and the false prophet. Everyone who ever lived, ever lived, is going to experience a judgment and a resurrection, a bodily resurrection from the dead. You know, there, there are a lot of people who think, well, yeah, I know Christians are going to be resurrected. But I thought people who didn't know God and love God and didn't follow God, they're just going to kind of drift into this state of consciousness and they just kind of evaporate and disappear. It's not what the Bible says. Short and sweet, Paul says this. There shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Does that leave anybody out? No. Everyone is going to experience a bodily resurrection from the dead. Jesus gave it a little bit more explanation in John chapter 5. And I want to talk quickly with that, uh, about that with you here in just a second. Um, <clears throat> starting at uh, John 5 verse 24. These are the words of Jesus. Truly, truly. And remember when he says truly, truly, verily, verily, if you have a King James Bible, what does it mean? This is important. Pay attention. So this is crucial, folks, that we get this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is. So Jesus is talking in this instance about the present condition that goes on even in our day. An hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Folks, here he's talking about people that were spiritually dead. And they hear the voice of the Son of God. Or in our case, we hear the Holy Spirit's voice calling us to the truth of Jesus Christ. It's like Nicodemus. Remember in John chapter 3, he comes to see Jesus. Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. That's who he's talking about here. People who hear the voice of the Spirit, calling them to the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus. They respond and they become alive. They live spiritually. They get born again. They get spiritual life. They move from death Spiritual death to spiritual life. But then Jesus goes on and he switches up the subject matter a little bit. And he talks about the future. He talks about the end times. Starting in verse 28, just a couple verses after this, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. And he doesn't say, and now is. He's talking about an hour that's coming at the end. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, some of you are probably sitting there reading that and your little spiritual barometer is going, tilt, What? wait a minute. Do you mean to tell me that you're going to spend eternity In heaven, because you did good and you'll go to hell if you do bad. If that's all the scripture we had on this, then you could go, wow, it kind of seems to say that. Good deeds, resurrection of life, evil deeds, resurrection of judgment. Aren't you glad we have the word of God, the whole word of God? And I've said to you so many times, one of my life principles is Psalm 119 verse 160. It says there, the sum of your word, God, is truth. And I take that to mean that you can't just pick 
one verse and form doctrine on one verse. You have to get the sum of God's word. You have to add it all together and put the pieces together so that you arrive at the truth. The scripture says so much more than just that. That's important. That's the truth, but that's not the whole truth. And so we're going to break this down here as we go along today. Do deeds, do your deeds factor into the equation of judgment? Yes. Not in terms of where you'll spend eternity, but how. And I'll show you that here in just a quick minute. But let's go back to Revelation chapter 20 and take a look at these verses, these five verses we're looking at today. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it. Whose throne is this? It's God's throne, okay? We've seen it in chapter 5, I think verses 1, 7, and 13. It's God's very throne. It is a great throne and it is a white throne, symbolizing to us that it is purity, it's holiness, it's his glory, it's his majesty. But what in the world does that next little phrase mean? From whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. That sounds odd. What is that talking about? What is that referring to? Again, it's another reason why I'm so glad that the story of the revelation, that mystical vision that God gave the Apostle John, is talked about and even explained in other portions of God's word. You see that little phrase from from whose presence, the the very throne of God causes earth and heaven to flee and there's no place found for them. That's referring to something that the apostle Peter talked about in 2 Peter, rather, chapter 3. Listen to what it says starting at verse number 7. By his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are being destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for, the haste, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see that little statement about God's throne coming and earth and heaven having to flee away from his holy presence. There's no place found for them. It's talking about what Peter is talking about here. Now, folks, to me, this is the ultimate in global warming. Okay? It is. Heaven and earth are going to burn up. They're going to be melted away because a new heaven and a new earth is coming. And the promise that the scripture makes, what the scripture is talking about is the fact that when God comes, when the throne of God comes back to this earth, there can be nothing on this planet that has the least little bit of tainting towards evil or sin or unrighteousness or unholiness. And so what Revelation twenty eleven is talking about is that when God shows up, everything that remotely smacks of evil must disappear. His kingdom will not tolerate that. His kingdom will no longer put up with that. It's going to be gone. And so the elements as we know them, this earth as we know them, are going to be set on fire. 
to burn off all the dross and all the impurity and all the sin and all the wickedness and all the everything that's ever been wrong because of sin, it's going to disappear. And out of that, God is going to form and fashion the new heaven and the new earth. We'll cover that in a lot greater detail in the next two weeks after today. But folks, the reminder to us, especially in this second part is how you live your life now matters. And we are called to live lives of holiness and purity. Live today like it matters forever. Because it does. That's the clear word from this scripture in Second Peter. So John has this vision. He sees this great white throne. He sees the one sitting upon it from whose presence earth and heaven flee away. No place is found for them. Verse 12. And I saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. We go back in chapter 20 to understanding that this is talking about, when it talks about the dead, it's talking about those who are spiritually dead. Not like Nicodemus and you and me who have been born again, but rather people who are spiritually dead. This is the, that resurrection unto judgment that Jesus was talking about in John five twenty nine. These are people who never come to faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. The message of the gospel, folks, is so plain and so simple. It's this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But listen to what it goes on to say. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world. You see, Jesus did not primarily come to bring judgment. He came to bring salvation. Aren't you glad for that? But God will in the end assign him the job of being the judge. Not first choice, not what he'd want for anyone, but it has to be done. So he didn't come to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. So believers will not experience this Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15 kind of judgment. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let's put verse 12 back up. So the dead, both the great and the small, are standing before this throne and books are opened. But there's another one specifically mentioned. The book of life is also opened. That's where your name gets written when you become a Christian. When you say yes, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior. The spiritually dead, the unsaved, their fate is already sealed. Okay, when these books are open, it's not a book that goes, well, um, your name's not in the book of life, but I've got these other books over here that that list all your deeds. And um, let's see if you've done a good enough job to um, earn a uh, a get out of hell free card. Um, That's not how it works. If your name's not in the book of life, you're not going to heaven. But these other books are also important books because your deeds will be judged. The unrighteous and the righteous. In Romans chapter 2 verses 5 and 6, Paul says, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person 
according to his deeds. Now, that specific scripture is talking about the day of wrath, the judgment of Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. But I'm going to show you here in a minute that there's going to be a judgment on us as well. Totally different for a totally different purpose. But there is a judgment that's going to be placed on everybody's life. Your life matters today. How you live today matters for forever. So, as a Christian, my deeds, your deeds are eventually going to be evaluated and judged. But not in any way as a determining factor for where we spend eternity. And even for these people, it's not for where they'll spend eternity. It's for how. Do you hear that? These books, plural, that are open, these books of deeds are not destination determinators, determiners rather. It's how eternity is going to be spent. And while it's not officially listed anywhere, I can't find you a chapter and verse that specifically says this. I believe one of the books that's going to be opened is this book right here. The Bible is going to be a part of this judgment. Here's why I believe that. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says this in verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, the one who we will stand before knows everything and sees everything. And because this book, the Bible, is one of the books I believe that's going to be opened, there'll be no excuses. Nobody will stand before God and say, you didn't understand. You don't, you don't know why I did what I did. This judges the thoughts and intentions of a person's heart. No one will stand before God and say, I don't think that's fair. God is a righteous judge and he will judge in perfect wisdom with perfect mercy and grace as well as perfect holiness and righteousness. And only God can do that. And I believe that his word is going to be a part of that because people in that moment will be without excuse. So deeds by the unrighteous will determine their degree of punishment. Now, if that's a new thought to you, if you thought, well, gosh, I thought everybody was just kind of equally punished in hell. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't think that, that that's not the justice and the equity of God that I see. Case in point, I believe Adolf Hitler will be much more severely judged than your neighbor or my neighbor who's a really nice person but who've never put faith in Christ and lived a heck of a lot better life than Adolf did. I think Adolf Hitler will be judged much more severely for being responsible for the murder of over 6 million people. It's not the same for everybody, folks. It's just not. Here's another myth or misconception about hell that I want to clear up right now. Okay? Satan is not the ruler of hell. He's not the boss of hell. But he's the prince of darkness. That's something so totally different, okay? I love Gary Larson. You know who Gary Larson is? Farside? He makes me laugh out loud when I read his cartoons. But when it comes to hell, he's been one of the ones kind of help perpetrate a false understanding, especially about the devil and his role. Okay? Here's a couple of cartoons from him. 
Satan is sitting there with one of the demons and says, that's the third one you've lost this month, Edgar. You've got to stop believing these guys when they say they're just stepping out to use the restroom. (laughs) Number one, he's the father of lies. He ain't fallen for something like that. But number two, hell's permanent, okay? There's, There's no stepping out to use the restroom or anything else. Here's another one. Sorry to bother you, sir, but there's another salesman out here. Do you want me to tell him to go to heaven? Now, I love salesmen, okay? That's not to be taken personally. I just thought it was too funny to pass up. But here's one responsible for the greatest misconception. As if people are filing into hell and the devil is going to be standing there like he's the boss with a sign that says, today is the first day of the rest of your life. He is not the boss of hell. Do you know why hell was made? Jesus said in Matthew, hell was made for the devil. Now, it's unfortunate that some other people are going to spend eternity there. But that lake of fire was made for him first and foremost. And you want to talk about the one who will receive the ultimate punishment from hell. It's him. He's not the boss. He's, he's going to be roasting and toasting with the best of them. Or the worst of them, I guess, would be probably better said. Here, here's the final Here's, rather, here's how final, absolute, and complete God's judgment is going to be. Verses 13 and 14 of Revelation 20. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Those words are chosen very specifically by God to give to John. Sea, the sea, and death, and Hades. Excuse me. It's a picture of every place that a dead body could be. And, remember, Hades is that, that, that holding tank, as it were, where people, apart from Christ, where their soul and spirit go when they die, awaiting this moment for the great white throne of judgment. It's a picture of Every place that dead people and unregenerate souls and spirits are, there is a day coming when they will give it all back up to God for the purpose of his judgment upon how they've lived and what they've done and the fact that they would not receive Christ. Everyone awaits this moment where they will yield to God's perfect, ultimate, final justice. When it says death and Hades are thrown into hell, it's a picture of everything that is not of God is going to flee from his presence permanently forever because God will not be around anything that smacks the least bit of evil. They will be permanently removed, absolutely separated from him and from the new heaven, the new earth, this new heavenly city that's coming. This second death, this is the second death. To be thrown into the lake of fire is the second death. Total, eternal, permanent separation. It's not a physical death. Remember, because the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for man to die once, and then comes the judgment. It's not a physical death that's being talked about here. The judgment of the unrighteous is not annihilation. It's not eventual nothingness. It's not a loss of consciousness. It is, however, a permanent Death meaning separation from God, but lived in a state of awareness and consciousness and torment. Folks, it's just horrible. 
The last verse of chapter 20. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That statement right there drives home several points. One, eternity will be spent one of two places. Your name is in the book and you go to heaven. Your name is not in the book and you go to hell. There's no in-between, there's no do-overs, there's nothing like that. You know, I, I say that this morning because there's some current teaching floating around out there. And I use the word floating around because you know what kind of stuff floats. Because that's what it is. Called universalism. It's not a brand new teaching or a brand new doctrine, but it's out there and prevalent in some spots in the body of Christ that basically says, love wins. Well, that's the title of one of the books, by the way. Love wins. And you know, eventually everybody gets redeemed and everybody gets saved and everybody goes to heaven. Isn't that a nice thought? It is. It's just not true. And oh yeah, truth is important, isn't it? See, as much as I would love to think that was the truth, it's not. It's very clear that if your name's not in the book of life, you will not go to heaven. Now, let's be clear from this passage. Salvation is by grace through faith, not works. So when we talk about deeds, it's not the determiner of where you spend eternity. Okay, we good with that? But there will be people who will not go to heaven by their own choices. And hell is a terrible place. It's an awful place. It's a nasty place. Did you know that Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven? He did. You know why? He didn't want anybody to go there. And so he painted a very vivid, clear picture about that place. I don't have time this morning to go into great detail on this, partly because that's not the point of the story. This is our story, not theirs. And so I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about they lose. I want to talk about we win. So, but if you're sitting there going, yeah, but I'd like to understand this better. I did a series of messages back in... May, June, I think it was, of 2006. The series was about six to eight weeks. It was called um, Exploring the Great Beyond. And I took several weeks in that series to talk specifically about hell. A lot of the stuff on heaven we'll get to next week. But if you want to know more, that's a great resource that you can go and learn more about that. But this is our story, okay? So let's talk about our story. But before we do that, There's a can of worms sitting out here, partially opened already. I just know it is. So I'm going to just open it a little bit and we'll peek in and then we'll move on. Okay. Some of you I know are sitting here today going, what about the people that have never heard Jesus? You you mean to tell me they're going to hell? They're just straight out going to hell. Um, I want to read one verse to you, make one brief comment and let you decide. Paul wrote in Romans chapter one, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they, so that people are without excuse. What about the African native that's never heard the name of Jesus? What about the person who's grown up in Siberia, hundreds of miles away from anyone else that ever knew of Christ or knew the gospel. What about them? 
I just know that God says that even in creation, there is something that screams of who he is. Okay? And I just want to leave eternal judgment in God's hands. He is the one who will do it with perfect wisdom, perfect justice, perfect righteousness, perfect mercy, and perfect grace. And I want to encourage you not to spend too much time getting wrapped around the axle of, yeah, but what about those people? I think so often of Jesus with the apostle Peter, and it's at the end of uh, John chapter, it's John chapter 21. And Peter's talking to Jesus and he's talking to him about another one of the disciples. And and Peter says, well, you know, what what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus looks at him and says, what is that to you? You just follow me. And so, folks, what I would say to you today is rather than getting wrapped around the axle of what about the natives and what about the Siberians and what about the, what is that to you? Care about them, but you follow him. You live your life realizing, knowing, understanding that how you live today matters for eternity. That should keep you plenty busy. Keeps me plenty busy. All right. You ready for some good news? Okay, let's talk about our resurrection, our eternal judgment. Yes, we have an eternal judgment. Remember Romans 2, 6, God will render to each person according to his deeds. But ours is nothing like what takes place at the great white throne. Okay, nothing like that at all. My personal belief is that our quote unquote judgment is going to take place prior to the second death prior to the great white throne judgment that we just read about in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, that judgment of the wicked. I believe that our judgment will happen in conjunction with Christ's second coming. Again, I'm not putting the timeline sequence, but I think in the, in the framework of when Jesus comes again is when our quote-unquote judgment is going to take place. I've read this to you before. I want to read it again just for a frame of reference. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 14 through 17 talks about Christ's return. And Paul writes, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Jesus, when he comes again, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died as believers. <clears throat> for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. In that, somewhere in that time frame, I believe our judgment that we're going to look at here in a minute will happen. Spiritually dead people, unbelievers, the wicked, whatever you want to call them, the Bible says when they die, they go to Hades. They go to that kind of holding tank, that, that place where their souls and spirits go, awaiting their final judgment at the great, great white throne. Christians, believers who die after Jesus has been resurrected, their souls and spirits go straight to heaven. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so our souls, our spirits go to be with Jesus when we die. But at his second coming, 
That's when bodily resurrection will occur for those who have died. That's when there will be a reunion with your body, soul, and spirit. Okay? Now, the two events, the resurrection of the unrighteous and the resurrection of the righteous Christians, don't happen at the same time, I don't think. But the same thing will happen. To both groups of people. Here's what Paul says about it. The context here is for Christians, but the same thing will happen to both the righteous and the unrighteous. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We won't all die. Some will still be alive when Jesus comes again. But we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4 was talking about. How will they be raised? The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable, this old body of yours and mine, must put on the imperishable. This mortal, this body that dies, must put on immortality. It won't die. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown or given a perishable body. It will be raised an imperishable body. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. That's talking about believers, but the same principles, the same things will happen in the resurrection of the unrighteous dead. Well, doesn't that just beg the question, what are these bodies going to be like? I mean, what are they going to be like? Well, first of all, it is a mystery. So there's some things about this that we won't understand until we have one. But the scripture also, I think, gives us some hints. My, my belief is that the resurrection of the dead is going to reassemble our original bodies in a different form. And here's why I believe that. I think it's the the natural, logical succession to God's plan. So follow with me for just a minute as we look at a couple scriptures and kind of tie them together. The first one is in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. King David writes these words, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Folks, that scripture clearly tells us who made us? God. How were we made? Skillfully, wonderfully. There's a picture in this scripture of God being intimately involved in every detail of what it took to make you and to make me. It's a, it's a picture of just the right amount of every part and every element, all the, the specific DNA for you and for you and you and me, all the chemical mixes, all the elements down to the very last atom. God knew exactly what it would take to make you and to make me and to make all of us different from each other. The perfect you. And it says it was all prepared and and fashioned and set aside even before you were you. God had all the stuff in place. I said in the first service, little piles, but that doesn't hardly do justice to it. But God had everything to make you set aside and reserved for that time when he was going to make you. 
And not only were your days recorded, I firmly believe that every part it took to make you was also written down. Because God's into details. Well, that's a little stretched, you think? I don't. Here's proof of that last statement. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 30, the very hairs on your head are numbered. God is into details. He knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. I look around this room and that's easier for some of you than for others. But God, God has always known and kept a record of how many hairs there even were on your head. And God doesn't waste a thing. He never wastes anything. Jesus said this. It's a little different context because he's talking here about persecution and tribulation. But I want you to hear the last sentence of this. He says, you'll be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, friends. They'll put some of you to death. You're going to be hated because of my name. But listen to this. Not a hair of your head will perish. God had a purpose for giving you even down to the last number of hairs on your head. Now, when a person dies, their hair dies and their hair and their body rots in the grave and all that kind of stuff. We, we know that happens. But in the resurrection, you get it all back. It's all going to come back. Rob, come here for just a minute, please. I want to kind of demonstrate something with my friend. Rob and I were talking this past Thursday about getting old and what a bummer it is to get old and how sometimes it's just tough. And we, we know we're in this stage of still perishable, still mortal, still all these things. But I want you to look at him for a minute. In the twinkling of an eye. Next slide. That's my friend back when we lived in Ohio. Wasn't that from Ohio? You're like, what, 26, 27 years old in that picture? I was 58. You were 58. <laughs> we're going to look at where liars spend eternity in a couple of minutes. <laughs> no, now that's not exactly, I'm not promising him or you that that's what he's going to look like. I'm kind of holding out for somewhere between 20 and 28, maybe, when I get my new resurrected glorified. Thank you, Rob, that's good. But that's, that's kind of what's going to happen. All, all of the old is going to become new. And I don't know what age it's going to be, but it's going to be great. But folks, listen to this. Even in death, when, when a body's been in the ground for 200 years and it's all decayed and rotten and kind of gone back to dust. Or here's one for you. Someone who's blown up in a war, a bomb goes off and their body is literally scattered all over the place. Here's another one for you. How about if you, you drown in the Caribbean and your body goes to the bottom and seven different sharks come and eat you and then swim to seven different oceans and poop? Did I, I, I said that, didn't I, in, in church? In the resurrection of the dead... God is going to take every element, every part of who you ever were and reassemble it back together into a glorified, resurrected, newly empowered, live forever kind of body. And I think we're going to get bodies like Jesus got when he was raised from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, it says Jesus talking to his disciples when he shows up. By the way, when he just shows up in a room, how cool is that going to be? Boom, here I am. Boom, there I am. <laughs> I can't wait. This is going to be so cool. See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. 
When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So Jesus looked enough like Jesus so they knew who it was. My point is, I think when we get our resurrected, glorified bodies, they're still going to look like us. They're still going to kind of be us, except they're going to have all kinds of new power and new abilities that we've never had before. Non-aging, eat, don't get fat, all that great kind of stuff. I don't know how old, but I'm trusting the master builder. If he can pull that one off, bringing it all back from sharks that took and ate somebody to the seven seas, I'm trusting him to know what the right age to come back at is. Don't you? Wow. Okay. Very quickly, let's finish with our judgment, okay? Remember, it's good news. Some people hear the word judgment and think, oh, no. It's not that kind of judgment. First of all, our judgment is not a destiny determiner either. It's not about where you'll spend forever. The good news is, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It does not say, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then we'll see how you do for the next 30 or 40 years, and then we'll figure out where you're going to spend forever. It doesn't say that. You, you give your life to Christ, you confess, you believe, your name goes in the book permanently, okay? Our judgment is not about eternal fate, but it is about eternal rewards. It's about eternal rewards. Think of it this way. When you gave your life to Christ, it's as if God opened your passport and stamped in it, all aboard for heaven. You're going. What this judgment is about is more about how much luggage can you take on the journey. It's not about can you get in or not. You're already in because of what Jesus has done. But rewards are more like how much luggage can I take on this trip that I'm going on. Our judgment is not before the great white throne of judgment. That's for the wicked. Ours is in front of something that's called the judgment seat of Christ. Or sometimes the Bible calls it the judgment seat of God. But it's totally different. Listen to what Romans chapter 14 says about this. There's three scriptures we're going to look at very, very quickly. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or, or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. We will give an account for how we live this life. How you live this life matters. The Greek word for judgment seat there is the word bema. And it literally is talking about a raised platform for public address. This, what I'm on right now, could be a bema. Okay? But the context you have to understand here is God's not going to look at you and go, come over here, I want to talk to you about how you lived. It's going to be more public than that. I'm so glad I don't see one face in this room going, oh, no. Oh, no. I want you to understand something. This is not a shaming time. This is not going to be a time of embarrassment because it's not going to be a time that all of your sins and everything you ever did wrong is going to be paraded before God and the whole world to hear. If you have confessed your sins, not only are they forgiven, they're forgotten. God doesn't sit and remember them. And this is not the day when he's going to bring them all back up again for you to be embarrassed or shamed about. Whole different paradigm here. Anybody in the room besides me glad for that? Oh, man. Another statement about this judgment seat is in 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed or paid, paid back, for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
I want you to understand something. When it's talking about the word bad here, bad is not going to be punished. It's more an issue of bad not being rewarded. And bad is not talking about sin. We so think good, bad, and always think that bad is talking about sin. Your sin has already been dealt with. This judgment seat is a, is a focus upon reward and gratitude, okay? I am going to be so thankful when I stand before that judgment seat that I don't get what I do deserve and I do get what I don't deserve. That's going to be my focus. We sang a song earlier today. I see the way he looks at me. He sees me holy. That's what he's going to see you as. Not get up here and let's talk about all the sin you did. That's been dealt with. That's in the past. The blood covers that. God sees you through the cross and what Jesus has done. So this has got a different purpose. The issue here in standing before God at this judgment seat of Christ and being paid back for your deeds, bad not meaning sinful, but rather the issue is what in your life have you built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? What in your life have you done under the power and direction of his Holy Spirit? That's what's good. What's bad is what you and I try and do for God in our own effort. Been there? I'm telling you, I'm so tired of trying to do something good for God. I always think of Jesus, or not Jesus, but uh, the psalm saying, unless the Lord builds the house, you lay labor in vain. I have built more houses, labored harder over things. I don't ever want to do that again. When we talk about being paid back here in our, in our, how we lived our life and the deeds that we've done, it's talking about the things that we've done in the power of Christ according to his direction and that life living in us. 1 Corinthians 3.14 says this, and we're about to the end. If any man's work which, which he built on, on that foundation of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, if any of that remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. He won't be rewarded, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. You see, the good stuff is the God-motivated stuff done under the power of his Spirit. That's what the scripture calls gold, silver, and precious stones. Anything that we do, the stuff that burns, is going to be the stuff that we try and do for God. It's not about doing a great thing for God. Well, what is it about? It's about finding the great thing that God is doing already and joining him in it. That's how to live life. That's how to be rewarded, be rewarded in full. I want to say one other thing before I make my my very last point. Rewards in heaven, rewards before the judgment seat of Christ are not given out and they're not based on the way we give rewards. We give rewards when you do something, you'll get this, and we live as if it's all about addition and subtraction, and there's only so much to go around. That's how life works, right? It does, trust me. In the economy of heaven, it's totally different than that. God deals in reward and blessing in exponential ways. In other words... We as a church have a great heart for the nation of Haiti, okay? We just sent a bunch of people to Haiti not too long ago. One of our students is working in the VBS over there, and they, let's say they lead one of the young people to Christ. 30 years from now, this young person grows up, becomes an evangelist in the nation of Haiti, and leads thousands of people to Christ. Guess what? When rewards are passed out, 
that kid from Good Shepherd that led that kid to Christ, who became an evangelist, who, who led thousands to Christ in the nation of Haiti, that kid shares in the reward. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in a prophet's name, you'll share in the prophet's reward. Prophet did all the work. You give him a glass of water to, to soothe his thirst. You share in the reward. Oh my gosh, I better get to Haiti. No. Some of you can't go, but you prayed. You're in. You're in on that reward. I go and I do this seminar for pastors, and um, I like when I can to buy them a theology book, a systematic theology book. Some of you have given money towards that. Guess what? When that pastor does his work and leads his church and we see people come to Christ, if you gave money for those books and those books helped him, you share in that reward. I shared in first service, um, when we saw the slides from Haiti, they were pictures of Dave Goltz with that big rake that he built. And he was raking out the parking lot kind of to make it smoother. And I thought early this morning, I was up and I thought, you know what? That looks like such a menial task. But what if, just use your imagination. What if Dave raking that parking lot made it so that some elderly person could come to church, be driven to church because there was a place to park and they could, because the ground was smooth, they could navigate from the car into the church. They hear the gospel, they get saved. And Dave Gold stands before the Lord someday and the Lord reminds him of the rake and shows him the old woman who got saved six months after he came. And Dave celebrates and shares in that reward. Every one of you that went to Haiti and whether you built stuff or bought stuff or worked with people or you stayed home and you prayed and you sent money, we're all in on this reward together. What do rewards look like? Well, real quickly, I think people will have different sized mansions. In my father's house are many mansions and it doesn't say there's one blueprint. I think that will be one of them. I think that different people will have preferred tea times when it comes to playing golf in heaven. No, I don't really because time will be no more. Okay, so that one I'm making up. But the scripture talks very clearly about the crowns that we will receive as rewards. There is a a finisher's crown. There's an incorruptible crown. There's a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness, a crown of rejoicing, a crown of life. And I think that one of the things that you'll get, depending on how you live this life, are crowns. I look forward to the day that I can take that crown and do this with it. I may cry because I almost did the first service. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and they will worship him who lives forever and ever. And they will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. Folks, I long for the day when we can, because of God's great mercy and grace over our lives, not sit around with this stack of crowns hoping we can hold our head up because they're so heavy. Hey, look at me. I got all five. No, I long for the day when, when I can just take those and cast them at Christ's feet and say, I'm just so glad to be here. I am just so thankful for what you've done for me. I know I don't deserve to be here. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that your heart for heaven? Oh, wait till we get to next week. Do you want to just stay a couple more hours and we can... <laughs> I don't either. I know it's getting late, but I'm telling you the next two weeks. Oh my goodness. It's going to be wonderful.
So stand, I want to pray for you as we dismiss today. And I also want you to know that if you're here today and you need prayer, we've got some folks at the end of the service who will come up here and will be happy to pray with you. I also want to say this to you. If you're sitting here today and this thought of eternal judgment wigs you out because you have not ever given your life to Christ and you don't know that there is a mansion in heaven with your name on the front door, you can take care of that today. Do that. Don't leave here today without knowing where you're going to spend forever. Just come talk to one of these folks. They'll explain to you what it means to give your life to Christ and a little bit about what that journey is going to be like. Okay, let me pray. Father, thank you so much today. I'm uh, a little more than excited about uh, where we're at in this journey through the book of the Revelation. Lord, uh, thank you for the fact that this story finishes well. It finishes with our story, our story of redemption, resurrection, eternal life spent with you in a place that almost defies imagination and description. But we're grateful that the book tells us a bit about what heaven's going to be like. And we look forward, Lord, to the next two weeks and ultimately to the end of this life and this journey where we will spend forever with you. How grateful we are, Lord, that the final score is clear. We win because Jesus has already won. In his name we pray this. Amen.